0: Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we find in Romans chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writing both of those texts, and he says in both of those that the things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction in our learning that through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures that we might have hope. So when we come to this little book of Jonah... There is instruction that is given to us as the people of God. It was written for our instruction and for our learning as the people of God. Now, let me tell you that the book of Jonah is not about the great fish. If you want to say it's about the whale, the great fish, you know, it doesn't say whale, it says a great fish that God prepared to swallow up Jonah. It's not about the whale, It's not about the great fish. It's not about Jonah. It is about God and His mercy, God and His grace, God and the wonder of His providence to a God-hating, rebellious people and also to you and me who are sinful, who wander from the truth who grow cold and complacent and rebellious and want to do our own thing and not listen to what God says to us in His Word. Uh, This grace and this mercy of a wondrous God is for you and for me. We see the mercy of God towards us even as we see it to the Ninevites and to Jonah himself as a believer and as a prophet of God. It speaks to us about the concurrent work of God in His providence, bringing, as it were, thinking about flowing rivers, and two rivers flowing together and then conjoining to become one. And we call that concurrence, how God brings these things together to bring about His will. And God uses all the different things that are in this created realm to do that for His glory and for the good of His people. This little epistle, this little book, ought to bring our minds to see how wondrous and glorious God is to sinful, rebellious, God-hating humanity. It is a wonder. We always have a tendency to want to exclude ourselves from things, to abstract ourselves from certain people. For instance, reading and looking at the life of Jonah and say, How can Jonah do that? And we do the same thing. You see, the difficulty for us is we're blind to our own sins, aren't we? We all have blind spots. Every one of us. And the sad thing about that is is that we are even blind to our own blind spots. We don't think we have them. And then we respond in ways that it's always somebody else's fault. You ever driving your car along and you pull over in the next lane and you smash into somebody that's right next to you because you didn't turn your head, you looked in your rearview mirror and the side mirror and they were in your blind spot. But you hit them, but in your mind it was their fault for riding next to you. That's the blind spots that go on in all of our lives and all Of our lives. This epistle, this book of Jonah, gives us a real bird's eye view of the Lord towards humanity. And so we're going to see the the providence of God. We're going to see the, the grace of God. And it's one thing, beloved, it's one thing to know about the doctrine of grace, it's another thing to know the grace of that doctrine. If you know the grace of the doctrine of salvation in Christ alone, it's going to change the way that you live towards those who don't. So we, we have here in the beginning the word of the Lord that came to Jonah. Jonah is the prophet called by God. And he is called by God... As God's word comes to him. How did the word come to Jonah? How did God speak to Jonah? We find in the Old Testament that God, even the writer of the Hebrews says, that in sundry and diverse ways God communicated the prophets. It's said of Moses that God spoke to him face to face. It is said of Abraham that God always told Abraham the things that he was about to do. God speaks in a a still small voice with Elijah. So it is, the word of the Lord. Notice this is not the word of Jonah. But as it is in truth, the word of God that was given to Jonah then to deliver to the Ninevites. That's what true preaching always is. It is not my message, it's the message of the Lord. I'm just simply telling you what God's word says. That's the calling of the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, is to reveal, is to unfold the teaching of God's Word. And this is what God says in His Word, and this is what He means by what it says, and this is how it applies in your life. We often think that the message is the preacher's. Well, when it departs from the teaching of God's Word, when it doesn't say what God's Word says, well, then that's the preacher's own mind. I hope, beloved, that you don't come to hear from my mind. I hope that you come to hear from the Word of the Lord. Because that's the responsibility of the preacher. Too often, the preacher says something to this effect. You know, uh, I, this, is, this is on my heart. I have to tell you what's on my heart. I don't want to know what's on your heart. I want to know what God says in His Word. When I'm not here, which is not very often, but when I'm not here... When I go to a place of worship, I don't go to a place where the man says, I need to tell you what's on my heart. I go where I know that the man is going to tell me what God says in His Word. I can care less what's on that man's heart. I want to know what God says in His Word. Because what God says in His Word deals with what's in my heart. And that's an issue, isn't it? So we need to hear the Word of the Lord. And this is what... the. The, uh, the scripture says here that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The prophets always spoke by the word of the Lord. How would you know that a prophet was speaking by the word of the Lord? We have that in Deuteronomy 18. If a prophet who presumes to speak for the Lord and his words fall to the ground, that man is a false prophet, he shall be stoned to death. So what's the point? The point is that a prophet of God, none of his words ever fall to the ground. He always speaks the things of the Lord. It always comes to pass. It was said about Samuel. None of his words fell to the ground. He always brought the word of the Lord to the people of God. Whether they liked it or whether they didn't like it, we live in a schmaltzy world today. We live in a world of wanting to please and accommodate Everybody with regards to truth. One in a hundred will tell you the truth, beloved. One in a hundred even know the truth. They'll stand up and they'll tell you this is what the Word of God says. What you're believing, what you're feeling, what you're going through is of the world. It is not of Christ. Why is that? Because we have become so accustomed to this slide of being socially acceptable to all people that we don't speak the truth any longer. When you hear the truth, people are appalled when they hear the truth. They want to eclipse the truth. They want to silence the truth, marginalize the truth. That should never be the church of Jesus Christ. That's us putting our light under a bushel basket, isn't it? When we stop speaking the truth, prophetically, you you find in the older generations, it was the church that spoke prophetically to the government. To tell them their responsibility before God. Well, we don't find that today either. Because we're so afraid of what people might say and what they might do. Why are we so afraid? Why do we fear the face of men so much? Why are we afraid of what people say about us? It, 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 look at it. It doesn't matter what you do in your life. People will always say something about you. Always. If you got an inheritance from your parents and you went out and bought a new car, somebody will gossip about you. If your parents died and you got some land, somebody will say something about you. Somebody will bring negativity. Somebody will slander. Somebody will gossip. Why? We live in a society of busybodies, poking into everybody else's business. I remember one congregation that a man read the the wanted ads and the, the section that told of farmers that were being foreclosed upon. For what? So you can tell everybody else? first congregation I pastored was in my study. It was about 7.30 on a Sunday morning and the phone rang. In the town that I pastored, there was another congregation. It was a Christian Reformed church. And it was that pastor. And he said, I want you to know before, this is exactly what he says, I want you to know before the members of your congregation tell you that he was arrested for drunk driving the night before. And he wanted to tell me first. And I was saddened. Not just simply that he got arrested for drunk driving, but that the gossip mongers in my congregation who couldn't wait to get there and tell everybody first, did you hear? No, dragon breath, go ahead and tell me. Did you hear this? Let me be the first. Let me show you the new thing that happened. Let me be the first one. And we think we're so smart. And that goes on continually. The the truth of God's word is to be a corrective of that. Not that's just the way that they are. You know what? No. I, I will not accept that. If you're a new creation in Christ Jesus... You are constantly being renewed into the image of Christ. If you are just that way, you're unbeliever. You're unredeemed. A believer is always growing into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the covenant promise of Romans chapter 8. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 4. That this outward man is falling to the earth, but the inward man is being renewed Day by day. Renewed to what? To the image of Christ. What does that mean? That I'm, That's not just the way that I am. I'm constantly changing for the better. Growth in grace. Growth in conformity to Christ. And so the word of the, of the Lord affects that change. And we are to be a people that speaks that word. Not being afraid. The word of God comes to us, beloved. Every Lord's Day. Every time that you open up the book. God's word is coming to you. We are called to be those that go out into all the world, bringing the gospel, evangelistic as it were. We are to evangelize the lost. We are to go to the highways and the, and the hedges. We are to go as one of, where no man has gone before. We are to keep on going and bringing the good news of the gospel. Why don't we? You see, it's easy to look at Jonah and say, what in the world? What's he doing? Well, here's Jonah looking right back at you. What are you doing? You who have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are not under persecution, what are you doing? Why are you not taking the gospel to the nations? Why do you not speak to your neighbor? Why are you so afraid? God's word comes and God's word comes and it comes powerfully. God's word comes and it affects change in the life of the individual. And this word came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And this is what the Lord says. The Lord tells Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah was maybe sitting down, lying down. The Lord tells him to rise. Get up on your feet and go. Arise and go. Completely contradictory for any individual that claims to be a believer to say, Not so, Lord. That's contrary to what we're called to. Do believers do that? Absolutely. Are we sinful? Absolutely. Are we practically perfect? None of us. We all fall short of honoring and glorifying God. Even the believer. But God accepts our worship. He accepts our service. He accepts our works. Because they're all sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's the only reason that they're acceptable before God. Is they are in Christ Jesus. Jonah doesn't want to go. Nineveh. As the Lord says, it's a great city. Um, uh, It's a city of great expanse. It's a city that had great architecture. It's a city that had great gardens. It was a wonder to behold some of the things that they would do in the ancient world. This writing of Jonah is about 760 BC, before Christ. It is right after the time of Elijah and Elisha. Jeroboam II is king. This is the time frame that's given here. And they had great ability to do great architects. Notice that in Nineveh, they're, they're building their walls. Just take, for instance, the walls around the city. And it was a great city. It says later on, and it took, it's a three days walk to go through the completeness of the city. They think about being in Omaha. Um, I think in Omaha, I don't, I don't know how many people are there, but uh, Nineveh, there was hundred and about 120,000 that it says did not know their left hand from their right hand, referring to the children. So some scholars estimate probably upwards around five hundred to 650,000 people within the city of Nineveh. That's, that's a huge city. That's a lot of people. It had a wall that encompassed it. And the wall was 100 feet tall. And it was near 60 feet thick. It was thick enough that you could race chariots, in three, three chariots on the walls of the city. And they had chariot races. But they were a, a people. Nineveh was the, the, the capital city of Assyria. They were a barbaric people. Some of the, what, what is the, the archaeologists, when they've dug up some of the artifacts, what they have found is certain drawings that depicted just how hostile and how vile that the Assyrians were. They were feared. And they did things for fear tactics. We have that today. We have certain atrocities that will go on in the world and people will be intimidated by what other countries will do. Remember Saddam Hussein that gassed his own people. Well, he put people in fear to control the people, to control the masses. So, this, what we have uh, in Nineveh, is, would be modern-day Iraq. And, and Mosul, Iraq. This is, this is the area that we're talking about. So... He is called to go up and, and Jonah doesn't want to go. He is in the northern part of, of Israel. He's part of the, the northern tribes. He is, you, you've got the 12 tribes. Ten are the northern and two are the southern. He's part of the northern. He's in the northern area closest to Assyria. So lots of attacks and problems and skirmishes would have come from the Assyrians to Jonah's area. So he had a disdain for them. He had an absolute hatred for the people. Why was it that Jonah didn't go? Did he not go because he was afraid? Did he not go because he had this this fear of what the Assyrians might do to him? I mean, after all, right, he's under the protection of God. He is the prophet of God. But he's sinful. He's a fallible human being. I'm sure that there was some fear within his heart. But what really ultimately was the reason why that Jonah did not go to the Ninevites? Hatred. He hated them. Isn't it amazing? Because we won't go to the people that we hate. We won't go to the people that we are have animosity towards. What is your thought towards those from other countries? What is your thought in bringing the gospel to the Chinese? What is your thought in bringing the gospel to Iraq and to Iran? To those that in the country that are Muslim, that hate Christianity, that behead Christians? What's your thought about that? What's your thought about those people? What is it that you would hear and what would go through your mind? What kind of emotions would well up when you hear about a move of the Spirit of God in the underground churches in China? Would you be elated for that or would you be angry because of the the China virus? How would you respond? You see, this is what's going through Jonah's heart. Can a believer have these harbored, angry, hateful thoughts in his heart? Absolutely. We see it right here in the life of Jonah. And I see it right here with us. So, beloved, don't think you're better than Jonah. Because we're not. We are more like Jonah than unlike Jonah. It's a sad fact, isn't it? As a matter of fact, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people that you like? Let alone the people that hate you. You're not allowed to hate anybody. Not the Christian. We're to love even our enemies. So Jonah is called to go and he doesn't want to go. And the cry is to cry out against it. This is a cry for repentance. This is a cry that Jonah is bringing from God to the people of Nineveh to say, there is going to be an overthrow of this city because of your wickedness. And Jonah knows who God is and he doesn't want to bring the gospel because he knows he's long-suffering, he's kind, he's merciful. And maybe they'll repent. Maybe God graciously will grant them the grace of repentance and they'll turn and God will redeem that whole city. And I hate them. Jonah doesn't want to go. What a mercy of God. None of us deserve the mercy of God. You understand, mercy is not obligatory. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. What do we deserve, beloved? You and I and every person in this world who has been from Adam, Christ accepted, deserve wrath and torment forever. We deserve eternal condemnation. We deserve to be cast into the lowest pit of hell and to suffer the wrath of God against our sins forever. That's what we have merited. People say, give me what I deserve. That's it. That's what you and I deserve. What a wonder of the mercy of God. That God comes to us. And He redeems us and brings us out of death and darkness into light and life in Jesus Christ. And washes us in the blood of the Lamb. And then He imputes all of our sins to Jesus Christ. And then He suffers in our place. He suffers the indescribable Anguish, pains and terrors. You can't describe what He went through on the cross. This is what Christ suffered in our place. That's the mercy of God. We didn't get what we deserve. That's what we deserve. To suffer what Christ suffered. He did it in the space of six hours. We would be through all eternity suffering God's wrath. What grace that God gives us What we don't deserve. He doesn't give us what we deserve, wrath. He gives us the the benefits of Christ in His grace. In His grace, He gives us what we haven't deserved. He gives us Christ. He gives us His righteousness, His holiness, His perfect satisfaction imputed to us. We're looked upon now, covered and clothed in Jesus, as if we are absolute perfection in Jesus Christ. What a wonder! This is the God that we worship, the God who saves prostitutes, thieves, liars, covetous, idolaters, adulterers. God saves these individuals. Let me ask you this, closer to home, because there are these churches that protest about bringing the gospel to the homosexual community. What's your thought about that? Is your thought, let them burn? Lord, let your wrath be kindled against them and smoke them all off the earth. Is that your attitude? Is that your thought? We read in 1 Corinthians 6, Such were some of you. Paul gives a litany. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You used to be that, but now longer. Now you are this in Christ Jesus. The scribes... Jesus told them, The prostitutes and sinners enter the kingdom of heaven. And you are left outside. Why is that? Because Jesus comes for sinners. Because there are none righteous. Sinners of all stripes. All different forms. All different attitudes. All different actions. Christ comes for them. And He comes with His gospel. And that's what the church has proclaimed. The love of Christ. Yes, there is judgment. If you don't turn. If you don't repent. You will die in your sins. But why would you die in your sins? There's life in His name. Choose life. Come to Christ. This is what we are called to bring to the nations. Yes. To the homosexuals. He's ensnared by Satan and sin. He's encased. He can't get out. He can't free himself. The freeing comes by the working of the Spirit through the Word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing. The word of Christ. How will they hear him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And so the preacher comes and he brings the saving message. Even to the most wicked, notice their wickedness has come up before me. Do, do you think that any people group of this earth is that God is uninformed about any people group? This is the omniscience of God. God knows all the people, groups of the earth. He knows every individual infinitely, eternally. They've been in his mind from all eternity. But this is the God that we worship as a God who sees. We read of this in Genesis 16. That's what happened with Hagar. Hagar was cast out by Abraham because Sarah was jealous of what was going on there. And she was cast out and she and Ishmael were left out there in the desert. And the Lord came and this is what Hagar says. You are truly El Roy, the God who sees. God who sees. God sees their wickedness. It has come up before him. Sodom and Gomorrah was spoken in that way. Their sin, their wickedness has come up before me. And so God sends the wondrous gospel message to a wicked people. And that's us. Apart from salvation in Christ, we are wicked, rebellious God-haters. What a wonder of our God. But Jonah, notice what he does. He runs. Jonah flees. He arose to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish is on the seacoast of Spain. Nineveh is east and he goes west. Directly opposite of what God calls him to. Tarshish is about 2,500 miles from Nineveh. Jonah is running directly in the opposite direction of what God called him to. What is there that you're doing that God has called you to but you won't do? What is it that you're running from? What are you running away from? You know, it's interesting is that oftentimes we think it's an open door. We think that uh, disobeying and rebelling against God, He's allowed it to happen, so it must be His will that we do this thing. Now, God often will open the door when you are in rebellion with your sin And this will happen and you'll go down that path. And you'll pay a great price. There's a great price to pay. You're going to pay the price. Notice that we're going in God's way. It's God who flips the bill, as it were. God is the one who provides. But when you go your way, you provide. And it's painful. That's what you find with David. David went his way. David should have been out in the fields with his armies fighting at the spring of the year. But instead, he was walking on the roof of his housetop, stayed back in Jerusalem, saw Bathsheba bathing and sinned. And it was a year that took place before David repented of his sin. And he was a vile man at that time. He was a man who was in great turmoil internally. He didn't have a desire to worship God. He was all dried up spiritually. It was when Nathan the prophet came to him that he repented of his sin. God gave him the avenue. Just enough rope to hang yourself. And then God comes to the rescue. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's the prophet of God. Did Jonah not know that God is everywhere present? Had he not read Psalm 139? Where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend to the heights of heaven, you are there. If I descend to the depths of Sheol, there you are as well. There is no place that I can go apart from your spirit. Did he not know that? You see, beloved, that's what happens, isn't it, with sin. Sin blinds us to even the things that we know. Sin causes us to make stupid decisions. Sin in emotional things well up to the point where we don't even see our blind spots. We're blinded to that, the fact that we have blind spots. Jonah knew. Jonah understood. Don't don't act like Jonah didn't know. Jonah knew. Jonah read the Psalms. Jonah understood who God is. He knew God was everywhere present. And so, he went down to Joppa. He's fleeing from the presence of God. But isn't that foolish? Isn't that how foolish we are? That, that's as foolish as the child getting angry with the parents and running into the bedroom, throwing the covers over his head and saying, my parents don't exist. And we do the same thing. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll teach God a lesson. I won't worship anymore. I'll teach God a lesson. I won't read His Word anymore. And that's what happens when you're in sin, isn't it? That you don't want to hear from the Lord. This is the thing with Jonah. Jonah doesn't want to hear from the Lord. Can you imagine? This is how we can be. The, 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 the struggle with sin in our life, the depth of sin can be so dominant at times in our life that we don't want to hear the Word of God. It's like we plug our ears to this. And here it is with the prophet. Beloved, we do the same thing. Something happens in your life. What happens when things come upon you in this life? A tornado comes and tears down your house. Do you still worship the Lord? When a child is taken at two or three years old, do you still worship the Lord? Do you still gather together? Do you still praise His name? Are you angry with God and you're running from God and you will not listen to God's word anymore? You are never in a good position. You are never on safe ground to behave that way. There will be discipline. There's only healing and hearing the word of the Lord. I need to constantly, continually hear the word of the Lord. And Beloved, really, the fact is that the more that you're hearing the word of the Lord, the less apt you are to walk in rebellion against Him. This is the sanctifying grace of God through the Holy Spirit. So he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. Notice, he pays the fare. When you depart from the living God, you pay the fare. It's all your expense. And it's a heavy price to pay. And he went with them, and he went to Tarshish, and in his mind, from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is reflective of your heart and mine. Jesus is the one who has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And he has told his church, go. Make disciples of the nations. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. Even into the end of the age. And we forget about that when the emotions rise up and want to trump the truth of God's word. We forget when we see the homosexuals' parades that God calls us to speak into the lives of individuals in this fallen world. I was thinking of uh, telling the elders this morning, um, and it just came to me this, um, this the, the thought that this, somebody had said on the radio that when... You are in this world, you're in a dysfunctional family. And then he said, when you're in Christ, you're no longer dysfunctional. I laughed out loud. We're dysfunctional. Sin makes us dysfunctional. You may be in the body of Christ. You may be a believer. You may be united to Jesus Christ. You are united in Him and grafted into Him. But we're still sinful and we're still dysfunctional. Here's dysfunctionality right here. God has said, but I'm not listening. Because I hate that people. And I really want my will to be done. Even though every Lord's Day, Lord thy will be done. But I want my will. I certainly don't want their salvation. It's you and I, beloved. This is reflective of us. Jesus uses Jonah as an example. Three days and three nights into the heart of the earth to reflect to to speak about his resurrection. Jonah was not a, a fantasy. It's not made up. It's not a fairy tale. This is a historical event. There are people that don't believe that he got swallowed by a great fish. There'll be people that will go on to all lengths to say impossibility for a man to be swallowed by a great fish. But with God all things are possible. Is it possible for God to create a fish large enough to swallow a man? There's historical documentation of men that were seafaring men that got swallowed by whales sperm whales that swallow you up in an instant. It really comes down to this do you believe the scriptures? That's it. That's it for me. That's that's that's, that's the contention. You either believe the word of God or you don't. And if you don't believe the word of God, then you have no business calling yourself a believer. Because that's what we believe. We believe God's word. We believe in the historicity of the word of God. We believe the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We believe that the word of God is inerrant, it's infallible, it cannot fail, it cannot err in anything that it says. Whatever the word of God teaches, it must come to pass. This is what we believe as the redeemed of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jonah was a historical prophet that God sent to the nations. And he rebelled. And we rebel too, and we need to repent even as we will see Jonah repenting in his life. Beloved, are the things that you're running from? Never run away from the Lord. There is mercy with the Lord. David sinned counting the number of Israel. Three things that Gad brought to him, and what did David? David chose three days under the chastening hand of God. Why? Because man is cruel, but the mercies of God. God is merciful. God will have mercy. Always run to the Lord. Confess your sin to Him. We have a God who pardons, a God who redeems even the worst and the vilest of sinners. This book is about the glorious God that we worship. Amen. Shall we pray?